for the believer, Christmas is, is a daily event because we should be celebrating the birth of Christ every day. And we know that there's been so much about this holiday that's been polluted and corrupted and so forth. It's a challenge for us to really keep our focus on what, what it's really all about. Some people get upset about Christmas in general. Believers, I mean, because they feel like it's become so pagan, so uh, commercialized and so forth. And even the fact that we know, you know, 99.9% that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but it's a date that was picked arbitrarily during the time of the Roman Empire, and it was, uh, it was combined with the uh, celebration of the winter solstice and all that. We know the whole story. But if you didn't know your birthday, I suspect you would probably just pick a day during the year because everybody likes to celebrate their birthday, right? Because being born, contrary to what a lot of people would tell you today, being born is actually a good thing. Because if you'd never been born, and next week we're going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. What if, you know, George Bailey had never been born? But if you had never been born, you'd have never had the opportunity to know God, right? And to live forever. So we should be thanking God just for the fact that we were born, that we're here, that we exist. When I was younger, as you know, a lot of you know my testimony that I received Christ as a preschooler, grew up believing in God my whole life. But as I've shared before, there was this time period, probably mid-high to part of my high school years, that even though I believed in God, I struggled with my concept of the afterlife. And I didn't have a, a fear of going to hell because I knew that I had the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. But the biggest fear for me was the possibility of just simply ceasing to exist. That what if there wasn't anything after this life? And so that was the biggest issue for me. And of course, once I recommitted my life to Christ and really began to follow Him and study His Word, that was a fear that I no longer had to deal with. The fear of no longer existing. But there are those who comfort themselves with that idea because they've chosen not to yield their lives to God. And therefore, if you compare existing forever in hell versus not existing at all, they would choose to no longer exist. We should be celebrating Christmas daily in our hearts. But we do have this one day of the year, and perhaps one of the most important things about it is that it makes a statement to the whole world. And that's one of my arguments for why we should continue to celebrate Christmas. It's a birthday party for Jesus, first of all. But it's also the one day of the year where virtually, especially now with all the internet and satellites and mass communications, the entire world is exposed for at least one day out of the year to the reality of the birth of Christ. It's a powerful, dynamic witness and testimony. But, you know, it's interesting, I find it interesting that some of the the, uh, most, the classic stories, Christmas stories, Christmas movies that have a tremendously dynamic 
underlying Christian message, even though they may not be blatantly Christian, might not even have any scriptures involved in them, like a, It's a Wonderful Life or you know, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. That's what I want to talk about this morning. But there's an amazing underlying message that ties right in with the true Christmas story. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together this morning. We ask that you'd bless our time of teaching and relating it to a fictional, non-biblical character, and yet we see so much there with which we can identify in your word. So we ask you to bless this teaching this morning. We'd ask you to cause your word to penetrate our hearts and minds once again. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, maybe per perhaps one of the most beloved modern Christmas stories, if you will, is The Grinch That Stole Christmas. But this message is called The Christmas That Stole the Grinch's Heart. And so um, particularly if you look at uh, some of the more expanded versions of The Grinch story, we learn actually why he was a Grinch. Why was the Grinch a Grinch? He was unloved, unwanted, mocked, and despised. He was different from everybody else. He was not physically attractive by the accepted standards of his community. Does this all sound vaguely familiar? Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. Who has believed our report? And of course, you all know this. I suspect that this is a messianic passage. This is a prophecy about our coming Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he... The Messiah, Jesus, shall grow up before him, the Father, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. The tender plant, of course, coming into the world as a human baby, a root out of dry ground. Contrary to what many people might think or believe, Israel at the time Christ was born was spiritually very dry, very dead. It was not a time of great spiritual awakening. It was just the opposite when Christ came on the scene. As a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And so, from what we read in the scriptures, it would seem that uh, Jesus did not have a particularly attractive physical appearance, which makes a lot of sense because we know how many people are drawn to someone because of their appearance. Years and years ago, when we started the church, we had a um, radio program on K Light. How many of you remember K Light? It's now. Um, what do they call it, 88.1, or was it the 107.1? I forget. I think K-Light was one of those two. Now it's owned by Calvary of Albuquerque, or Calvary Church, I guess they're called now. But so we had a daily uh, half-hour radio program on there. And so, of course, believe it or not, that would actually draw people to the church <laughs> when they would hear me teaching on, on the radio. And they would say, well, we thought you'd be a lot taller, we thought you were blonde. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. And they sounded kind of disappointed that I wasn't tall and blonde. But, um, <laughs> but I suspect that God deliberately orchestrated it in such a way that Jesus would not have a, a physical attractiveness that people would be drawn to him just because of his, quote, good looks. I can remember in previous uh, presidential elections that, uh, for example, with Bill Clinton, a lot of women said they voted for him 
because they thought he was attractive or sexy. I never considered him to be that, but then I'm not of that persuasion anyway. But oftentimes people will follow someone. Remember this happened with King Saul. Remember? The people said, we want to be like all the other nations. Israel, God was the king of Israel. But they said, we want to be like all the other nations. We want an earthly king, somebody we can physically see and touch, somebody we can identify with. And so they basically voted for Saul because he stood head and shoulders above every other man in the land. He was tall. And they didn't listen to him on the radio. They saw him in person, and they saw that he was tall. And they chose him to be their king. Did Saul turn out to be a really good king? No, he did not. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Interesting, isn't it? Now, of course, the Grinch is not Jesus, but you see the comparison. It's very dynamic, the comparison between the two. And with all the, uh, the glitter and the glamour we ha tend to attach to the Christmas story and our 21st century celebrations, the massive choirs, the live nativities, tinsel, shining ornaments, wreaths, beautiful wrapping, paper, people in colorful garb supposedly reenacting and recreating the birth of Christ, we tend to forget, if we ever remembered in the first place, that Jesus was born to two poverty-stricken people from one of the lowliest towns and one of the lowliest countries on the planet in one of the lowliest places imaginable, a dirty, stinking animal barn. This is the reality of Christmas, isn't it? The only attendance to the birth of our Lord and Savior were farm animals. Think about that. The wise men didn't even show up for at least a couple of years. We usually see it depicted as all one continuous scenario, but that's not how it happened. The wise men came a couple of years later. But uh, I forget, it was several years ago I began to think about this and some of these really extravagant productions that churches put on. Now again, I understand, I mentioned earlier, one of the most important things about Christmas is it gives us an opportunity to present the incarnation, the nativity, to the whole world. And so there's a strong desire to really capture people's attention and draw them to it. I understand that. But uh, I know um, my wife and I have been watching some videos recently of, you know, the, the nativity. How many of you have seen the movie, The Nativity? You haven't seen that? Wow. That's probably the best depiction of the birth of Christ that's ever been captured on film, the nativity. You should watch it if you haven't. Very realistic, very down-to-earth, just like the passion of the Christ. How many of you have seen that one? You know how that just really draws you into the reality of what Christ went through? The nativity does the same thing, only at the beginning. The passion covers the end where Christ is sacrificed on the cross. The nativity covers the beginning in much the same way, very realistic, and it really gives you the real feel for Christmas. Again, perhaps we've done Christ a disservice by all the, the overdone 
you know, presentation, giving people a false impression. The whole point was, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, wasn't born in a royal palace. He wasn't born into wealth and position. Just the opposite. His life here on earth was from beginning to end, let's be honest, one of suffering, sacrifice, selflessness, rejection, mockery, persecution, and ultimately what? Execution, right? So let's read on in Isaiah 53. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. In other words, there were many as they observed what happened to Christ. Well, he must have deserved this. You don't wind up on the cross for nothing. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, or that brought us peace, was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now, there are certain factions within the church who have tried to take this portion of Isaiah and make the case that this means anytime you have any kind of a physical illness, affliction, etc., then you are able to demand from God a healing. First and foremost, I think we all here today believe in physical healing. We've had some wonderful testimonies recently. I don't know how many of you know Joey and Melissa Correa. They haven't been to church in a few months because of the coronavirus, but um, Joey's had long-standing difficult afflictions of his eyes and was in danger of losing his eyesight. We've been praying for him on a regular basis in the men's prayer group and so forth. We had a report a couple weeks ago that he's now at the stage where with lenses, he has 20-20 vision. We had shared, I believe, several weeks ago that Kay Johnson, whom we'd also been praying for, that had concerns potential, had been diagnosed potentially with cancer of the esophagus, has now been given a clean bill of health. And Reiner over here, our good friend Reiner. He had shared with us in men's prayer uh, more than once that his eyesight was deteriorating and that ultimately he would go blind. But we said, no, 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 that can't be. And we've been praying for him regularly and he shared with us Tuesday night that his eyesight has stabilized. Right? And is it the left eye where he had the black dot, Reiner? Part of the, his problem with his eyes was that in his left eye, he would see a black dot in the middle of things. And he's now reported that the dot has gone from black to blue. So there's been movement there as well. And at the very least, blue is better than black. <laughs> but that seems to be an indication that that situation is resolving. And I could go on and on. I had a list. I keep forgetting to bring it with me. On one of our prayer sheets from a couple weeks ago, there were so many praise reports and testimonies of healings and so forth. So we know that God's alive and well, and He is the healer of our bodies. But I just wanted to make the point that the primary emphasis here in Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. What happens is if you tell people without adequate biblical foundation that you should always be healed as a believer, you should never be sick, and if you are, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's part of that word of faith message. I've seen that damage so many believers. 
it sets you up for disappointment. It sets you up to be angry at God. Well, if what that pastor, that teacher said is true, that we're supposed to always be healed, and if we're not, it's because we don't have enough faith, that shipwrecks someone's faith. So we need to recognize, on the one hand, yes, God does heal. But sometimes He doesn't. And ultimately, these bodies are all going to pass. No matter how many times you get healed, these bodies are not built for eternity. They will eventually break down, deteriorate, and shut down. So we should always approach God with the understanding and the belief, yes, He does heal, and I pray that He would heal this person, that person, or even myself. But remember what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Right? God is ultimately in charge. He's in control. He sees all things, knows all things. We don't. So I want it understood that although we can certainly include physical healing in this verse, by his stripes we are healed, Isaiah 53, 5. First and foremost, what this means is And we just talked about it last week in communion. Sin is a terminal illness. It will kill you. Not just physically, but spiritually. It will separate you from God for all of eternity. Right? So we need to be healed from our sin. Because these bodies, again, no matter how many times they get healed, they're still going to die. But eternity is forever. We all need a spiritual healing. And by His stripes we are healed from that terminal illness of sin. All right, let's go on. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And so the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea, along with his friend Nicodemus, they buried Jesus in Joseph's tomb. Joseph was a wealthy man, but he loved Jesus. Joseph and Nicodemus were two of the few men among the Sanhedrin who were believers and stood up for Jesus, they took his body from the cross and they placed it in Joseph's tomb because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. In fact, that goes all the way back to Genesis when God is pronouncing the curse on Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And he says that the seed of the woman, interestingly, not the seed of Adam and Eve, the seed of Eve, indicating she would have no, Jesus would have no earthly father, the seed of the woman would stomp on the head of the serpent. The serpent would bruise his heel. And here it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Jesus was bruised. The crucifixion for you and I would have been permanent. Done deal. For Jesus, it was just a bruising. He rose from the dead on the third day. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, 
He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. We are his seed. We're his offspring. And his days have been prolonged because he is now alive forevermore. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. How many of you here today have been justified? Not because of your good works, not because of anything you've done. To be justified means, and in God's sight, this is a really big deal. In God's sight, because of Jesus Christ, because of his blood shed for us on the cross of Calvary, in God's sight, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. So, when you start to feel shamed, guilty, so forth, condemned, that's not God. That's the devil trying to heap condemnation upon you. You need to remember, and you can tell the devil this, I've been justified by the blood of the Lamb. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So get out of here. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now the Holy Spirit will convict you if you've been naughty and not nice. And God's taking a look. He's checking it twice. And you get convicted. You need to repent. Father, please forgive me. Help me. I want to be a righteous, holy person. I want to be a true disciple of Christ. But God will not condemn you. He will not say, okay, that's it. I'm done. You're out of here. That's not God talking. Because you and I, in Christ, it's a position that we hold. We're justified. We're sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart for God's holy purposes. That's who you are. That's why you need to be in the Word. That's why you need to be saturating yourself with the truth of God's Word because we're bombarded every day with lies from the enemy. They come in many forms. They come through other people who will try to heap condemnation on you. They will come from the media. They come from every corner. We are bombarded with the lies of the enemy because he is the prince of this world. Do you know that? Sometimes people get confused and they go, I don't understand. If God is such a loving God, why does all this horrible stuff happen all the time? Because Satan is the prince of this world and that's why Jesus is coming soon to establish his kingdom on the earth. The devil's going to be gone. He's going to be chained up for a thousand years and it's going to be a whole new world. Satan is the great counterfeiter You've heard phrases like new age, new world order, right? A global system. Satan's attempt to preempt the coming kingdom of Christ. And folks, we're right dab in the middle of it right now. Don't you doubt it for a moment. But God's in control. God's on our side. All right, let's back up to verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul, that his sacrifice for us on the cross, and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many. Why not all? Why doesn't Jesus just wave a magic wand and justify everybody? Because in order to be justified, the introductory message of John the Baptist and Jesus can't coming about six months after John the Baptist you know what the first words out of their mouths were? Repent, for
for the kingdom of God is at hand. How many preachers, teachers, pastors, leaders do you hear today saying, repent? Oh, that's hurtful. That's judgmental. That's harsh. We don't need to repent. You know, I'm okay, you're okay. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Stuart Smalley. <laughs> no, if we want to be justified, Christ did the heavy lifting. But we must respond with repentance, which means to turn from a life of selfishness, a life of sinfulness, and follow Christ. Repent, confess our sins. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Yes, God. Confession means you're agreeing with God. God's Word has a lot to say about the sinful condition of the human heart. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. God, you're right. God is always right. Do you know that? And if you agree with Him, you're right. If you disagree with Him, you're wrong. Because God is never wrong. Repent, confess, acknowledge Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of God, the Savior of the world, that His death on the cross is sufficient to pay the price for your sins, and you will be justified, just as if I'd never sinned. For He shall bear their iniquities. He's done that for us. And He continues to do that as we walk uprightly before Him, as we continue to repent Continue to confess. That's something we're going to have to do for the rest of our earthly lives because we have a dual nature. We have the flesh, the old man. We have the new man, spirit-filled, and they're always battling against one another. But God's grace is sufficient to cover each and every sin that we've already committed and every sin that we will ever commit in this life. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great as in the greatest of all. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And you and I are the strong because our strength comes from him. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He made intercession for us with the Father. He's pleading before the Father even now on behalf of His saints, His people. So was the Grinch a sinner, a transgressor? Absolutely. He was a thief, right? After all, he stole Christmas. But why did he steal Christmas? Because those who claimed to know its true meaning there in Whoville, I wonder if there's a what, why, and howville as well. Those who claim to know its true meaning and celebrated it religiously, if you've ever seen any of the depictions of the Grinch, I mean, they did it upright. They did it up big time right there in Whoville. They celebrated their version of Christmas religiously, but they failed to live it out in their dealings with their fellow man, the Grinch in particular. I have some quotes here from the Grinch. He says, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's always been about. Gifts, 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 gifts. 
You want to know what happens to your gifts? They all come to me. In your garbage. You see what I'm saying? In your garbage. I could hang myself with all the bad Christmas neckties I found at the dump. And the avarice. The avarice never ends. I want golf clubs. I want diamonds. I want a pony so I can ride it twice, get bored, and sell it to make glue. Look, I don't want to make waves, but this whole Christmas season is stupid, stupid, stupid. Remember any of that from the Grinch? I'd say for 2,000 years, 2,000 years plus at this point, I guess, multitudes have rejected the message of Christmas because they failed to look beyond those who have misrepresented the one whose birthday we celebrate. It's that old expression, you can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes you can't see the Jesus for all that other stuff. Yet others, this is really important, have joyfully embraced the message of Christmas because they looked beyond the faults of Christ's followers and directly into his heart of love. It's another very important thing about trying to encourage someone that you're concerned about, that you either know for sure they're not a believer or strong indication that they're not. And again, they've been turned off by a lot of what they see in the church, like we're talking about all the secular trappings of Christmas. That's why it's so important to try to encourage them to read the Bible. They will get the pure message without any of the pollution, right? That's why it could be a great Christmas gift, hoping and praying that they will actually open it and read it. We always try to encourage people, start with the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John gives us such a wonderful, awesome, amazing picture of the deity of Christ. And that's important because if it's not enough to simply believe in Jesus, you must believe that He is God incarnate. He's not just a man. He is God in every respect. I didn't just say that to sell Bibles either, by the way. It's really true. So many people have been converted. That's why the Gideon ministry is so dynamic and so powerful. How many of you know about the Gideons? We've had them come and speak from time to time. Tim Miller is a Gideon, one of our members here. And their whole mission is to distribute New Testaments by the millions and millions and millions of all over the world. Because if you can get the Word of God into someone's hands and get them to open it, the Holy Spirit will speak to their heart. So many people have been converted simply by reading the Bible without any human intervention. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I forget the last survey that I read. We know, we talked last week about how concerned those in positions of knowledge, information, understanding within the church have talked about a great decline in Bible knowledge among people in general and people in the church. Tempted as we are yet without sin. I was going to say, I think it was over 30, maybe like 33, 30 some odd percent of people in the church believe that Jesus sinned. There are so many shocking statistics like that out there about people who identify as Christians. If you believe Jesus sinned, then that's game over. 
He couldn't have died on the cross for our sins if he sinned. But you have, again, a real drought in terms of Bible knowledge, people identifying as Christians, and they don't even know what the Bible says. He lived a sinless life. Let us therefore, verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Psalms 103.13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And that doesn't mean you're scared to death that he's going to squash you like a bug. The fear of the Lord means you respect him. You're in awe of him. You acknowledge him in all of his mightiness and greatness. The great I am, the creator of all things. That's what it means to fear the Lord. In contrast to a fear of men. If we had a fear of men, we wouldn't be here today. Right? Because they've told us we shouldn't be doing this. Okay, here's a quote from uh, Lulu Who in the Grinch story. I'm glad he took our presents. You can't hurt Christmas, Mr. Mayor, because it isn't about the gifts or the contest or the fancy lights. That's what Cindy's been trying to tell everyone and me. I don't need anything more for Christmas than this right here, my family. And I would broaden that to the context, the family of God. This is our forever family, folks. We all love our earthly biological families. I suspect for all of us, one of our greatest, strongest prayers, I know I pray this for all my family members, don't let one of my family members miss out on your eternal kingdom. Please draw each one to yourself. Give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. But at the end of the day, everyone has to make their own personal choice. You can't get saved for anybody else but yourself. God has given every human being a choice. And we have to be at peace with that at the end of the day. It breaks my heart to think that even one of my loved ones, one of my family members, would not be there with me in God's eternal kingdom. But at the end of the day, it's between them and God. I can't make them choose. They have to choose on their own. We have to be at peace about that. That's another thing many people struggle with. We need to understand that. I pray that God will draw them to himself by his Holy Spirit. I don't need anything more for Christmas than this right here, my family. So let's go back over some of the qualities or characteristics that made the Grinch a Grinch. One, he was unloved, but there's a biblical scriptural answer for that. And there are many today in the world who feel unloved. There could be somebody in this room today. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he proved it. People will tell you they love you. And you know, all of us as human beings, our greatest capacity and ability to love comes when we are filled with the Spirit of God. Because God will impart to us the highest form of love, which is His unconditional agape love. But even then, we talked about the dual nature. So even though as believers we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we're praying, hoping the fruit of the Spirit will come forth, that agape love, that unconditional love, but it's always battling up against that flesh. And you know what that flesh loves more than anything else? Self. Right? So at the end of the day... Any earthly love at some point in time will disappoint. The love of God will never disappoint, folks. 
God so loved the world. The Grinch was unloved by those around him. They rejected him. What do you do? You don't become a Grinch. You don't go hide your head in the sand. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Right? Remember that one? No, that's not what you do. You go to God because he loves you. And he proved it. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, also, the Grinch was unwanted. They didn't want him around. Get out of here, you Grinch. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. In all of our sinfulness, all of our unrighteousness, Jesus didn't say, well, if we can just get the human race up to a certain level. You know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are up there. They're talking about the situation. What are we going to do here? Well, we tried to fix it once. We brought a flood and killed everybody, except for Noah and his family. Started over with supposedly eight righteous people. But look, now it's all a big mess again. What are we going to do? If we could just get them up to a certain level of morality, then perhaps then Jesus, Father says, you could go down and finish it up the deal, seal the deal. No. When God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit looked down upon this world and they saw all the evil, all the vile, sinful wretchedness, Jesus says, I know what I'll do. I'll go down there and die on the cross for them because they're never going to make it on their own. While we were yet sinners, that's agape love, unconditional love. So he was unloved, unwanted, rejected. Here's the answer from God's word, John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in, by no means cast out. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if most of us in this room at one time or another have tried to pursue a friendship or some type of a relationship with someone who didn't want anything to do with us. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. <laughs> but God says, if you come to me, I will never reject you. The devil might tell you, oh, you know, Jesus did die on the cross for sinners. God does love the world, but buddy, you're too far gone, I'm sorry. Lady, he isn't going to want to have anything to do with you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Again, there's always that potential in earthly human relationships for rejection, is there not? And what's really shocking about it, and this exposes the, the true human nature, and I've experienced it many times, believe me, is that someone that seems to just really hold you in high regard, high esteem. Man, what a friend, what a pal. And that quick they turn. You ever experienced that? That's what you get from humans. I love humans because God loves humans, and I am a human. But they're not always that reliable. You know who is? Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 5, the second half of the verse, for he himself has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, that can't always be said of human beings. 
In some cases, they don't have a choice. They get sick, they die, what have you. They uh, get a job in another city, another state. All kinds of things happen that will result in loss of relationship, but the one relationship we can count on 24-7 is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I will never leave you nor forsake you. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. A lot of people don't come to Christ because they think, oh, he'll never receive me. Notice this, you need to receive him. And he already promised if you do, he won't reject you. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's another deception this world will foist upon you. Oh, we're all God's children. It doesn't matter what you believe, who you believe. No, we're not all God's children. We're all born in sin. Being a child of God is a right imparted to you by God when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. His name, Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, Joshua, Yehoshua. It means God is our salvation. If you believe in his name, then you believe that he's God and you believe that he is your Savior. Mashiach, the Messiah, the Anointed One, you believe he is the one sent by God to be the Savior of this world. If you believe those things and you receive him into your heart, then you will become a child of God. Finally, he was mocked. The Grinch was mocked and despised like Jesus. Luke 18, beginning in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The tax collectors were probably the most despised men in that culture, in that society, in Christ's day. Remember Matthew, who was called, previously called Levi, was one of the apostles, the disciples, was a tax collector. The Pharisee said to Jesus' disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? There was a general category of sinners, and then there was a specific category of tax collectors. Kind of like the IRS, huh? <laughs> they were a specific category of sinner because they were skimming off the top. They were Jewish tax collectors working on behalf of the Roman government, collecting taxes from their fellow Israelites, and then skimming a little cream off of the top. So they were the worst of all worlds. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I just told my wife this morning, honey, that was a horizontal prayer you just prayed. We're on the way to church. She says, can I drive? I said, no. She doesn't like being on the freeway, especially with me behind the wheel. So she prays a little prayer. I'm serious, out loud, for safety. And I said, that was a horizontal prayer. You know what a horizontal prayer is? When you're praying at somebody. <laughs> that means they're in the room. They're present, and you're praying. It sounds like you're praying to God, but you're really praying at them. That's a horizontal prayer. Put that in your little dictionary, your little glossary. And here's this Pharisee, big hypocrite anyway, 
And he's thanking God basically how wonderful he is. Have you ever heard anybody pray a prayer like that? Disgusting. Thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Wow. I fast twice a week. He's, you know, wow. You really think we need to go before God and brag about ourselves? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. There's probably more people out there like this than we realize. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. He was definitely under conviction of the Holy Spirit, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And God will use situations and circumstances in our lives to humble us. And that's a good thing. He loves us too much to watch us remain in our pride and our arrogance because it does lead to a downfall. So with the story of the Grinch out of an entire village, there was only one little girl who showed the Grinch the true meaning of Christmas. Cindy who? She gave him unconditional agape love, if you will, and it melted his cold, hard heart. So often we think about the story, everybody just thinks about, hey, that mean old Grinch, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> and we forget that there's actually a good ending to the story. That he has a complete change of heart because of this one little girl. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The loving kindness of this one little girl. In the Hebrew, it's hesed. It's an everlasting, unfailing, unconditional love. So it's the Old Testament equivalent of agape. Hesed. I've loved you with an everlasting love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. So as we've talked about already this morning, the best that men and women can offer each other is a flawed, conditional love that really fails to heal the human or Grinch heart. In much the same manner as the Grinch, remember the story of A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. Another great story written by Charles Dickens. Scrooge was hurt and wounded by the disappointments and tragedies of his family early life. Both the Grinch and Scrooge chose to harden their hearts. Do you realize that? There are many people in this world with hard hearts, but that too is a choice. Maybe not consciously you don't say, you know what, I'm just going to harden my heart. But people do that because they can't deal with the pain. So both the Grinch and Scrooge hardened their hearts in the face of severe adversity. But praise be to God, there is one substance that can soften even the hardest heart. And that's the precious blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Luke 24, 32. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples. They haven't recognized him at first, but they say to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? 
while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. The blood of the Lamb, the power of God's word can melt and soften that hardened heart. And so at the end of all this, at the end of the story, the Grinch says, I'm all toasty inside and I'm leaking. He's crying. Max, the dog, Max, he says, Max, help me. I'm feeling. That's a new experience for a lot of people who have hardened their hearts and shut themselves off from everyone and everything over many years. And then the, the Son of God comes into your heart, comes into your life and melts that hardened heart and all of a sudden you're feeling. And so we close it out. The Grinch says it came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. And the narrator says, the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. So for all of you who are frustrated with all the lack of access to the stores, Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, he thought, means a little bit, and I would add, a whole lot more. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you for the insight that you give us into the true meaning of Christmas, Lord. We know it's not just one day. Christmas for us should be every day. But we're thankful for this opportunity that we have every year to proclaim the birth of your one and only Son to the whole world. But Lord, we also recognize that sometimes all the man-made stuff gets in the way. So I pray this morning that you would help each one of us to be like Cindy who? Lord, that we would be able to be, to exemplify the true meaning of Christmas, to be able to express your agape love, your unconditional love to those around us, Lord, those who perhaps have been turned off by the gospel message because of all the things that man has got thrown in the way, interjected into it. Lord, help us to get back to a more simple, realistic, natural meaning of the birth of Christ. It wasn't glamorous, it wasn't glitzy, but it just happens to be the most important event in human history. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the true Christmas, which is all about the incarnation, the nativity, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those this morning who may be struggling with hardened hearts, like the Grinch, like Ebenezer Scrooge, Lord, we ask you to melt those hardened hearts with your love, your loving kindness, your hesed. Soften our hearts, Father, because we know that we all have a danger and a risk of hearts being hardened by all the things that this world throws at us every day. Help us to maintain soft, open moldable, pliable hearts, Father. And Lord, before we close in prayer, I'm going to ask those who need prayer, raise your hand this morning. We'd like to pray for you. Whatever it might be, God knows. We want to lift you up now. Father, you've seen each one, Lord. It's so awesome because you know them better than I know them. You know them better than they know themselves. You know what's on their heart right now. It could be health issues. 
We know that you are the great physician. Lord, we pray for anyone in this room right now that's struggling with some type of a health issue that you would. As we talked about this morning, we know you do heal. We also know that those healings are not permanent, that these bodies will ultimately expire. But in the meantime, Lord, our desire is to have the health, the strength, the energy to serve you on this planet for as long as you choose to have us here. So we lift up all those in need of healing. We ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, your healing oil, your anointing oil. We ask in Jesus' name, humbly this morning, as we praise you and thank you for all the healings we've already witnessed in this church and in our personal lives. We pray that you would heal these folks. Lord, for those who are struggling with emotional issues, whether it's worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, depression, we know, God, that you are better than any man-made medication or any man-induced therapy. Not only are you the healer of our physical bodies, you're the healer of our minds, our hearts and our minds. I pray for healing for those struggling emotionally, mentally today. Spiritually, Lord, those struggling in their relationship with you. I hope and pray this message today has been encouraging that you did the heavy lifting, Lord. Our part is simply to believe to receive, to confess, to repent, and then trust upon you for the strength to live lives honoring unto you. Help those today struggling with their relationship with you, Father. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you personally, that you would draw them today by your Spirit and enable them by faith to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, if it's monetary, you are our provider. We know that you do work through people. So we pray if there are those in need that you would make us aware that we might be able to help as we are able, that you would provide through any and every means possible. And Lord, we know that you are a very creative God. So strengthen the faith of those struggling today financially. Enable them to be able to trust you for provision that you have promised. Father, for broken relationships, we pray for healing there. Guided and directed by your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, we are called to be peacemakers. Lord, sometimes we have to be the ones to step out first, ask for forgiveness, make reconciliation, whatever it takes. But I pray, God, for anyone here today that's struggling, needing restoration and healing of a relationship, whether it be a marriage or a friendship, a relationship in the office, in school, wherever it might be, Lord, empower and enable each one to reconcile whenever possible. Lord, you said as much as it lies within us, we're to be at peace with all men. Lord, sometimes all we can do is make the effort. The rest is up to you. But I just pray for peace upon each one today, Father. And we just ask you to receive our final offering of praise this morning. Before we head out, we pray for safety and protection as we go home or go to lunch or whatever we do today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.